the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Stocky, stocky talk. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing more. Uh, many, many, many years ago, as a national radio show, as a former, no, not even as a former at that point in time, as a current portfolio manager, one of the things I did was I started my radio career not intentionally. I, you know, I didn't get into radio to make money. I got into radio as a communication tool. So go back 20 plus years, roughly. And what was happening was there was a, a strong need for financial information. The Dow was up 15 points today. The Nasdaq's down 12 points today. Intel reported a better than expected quarter. That's what it sounded like. It was very clean. It's very concise. Um, there wasn't a lot of advice. There wasn't a lot of how do I apply that to me. It's kind of boring. You'd go to the newspapers and read about the top. Mutual funds. So Roberts and Stevens would have 13 or 14 mutual funds, and you'd see three of them listed. You're like, why aren't the other nine listed? So you didn't know. There wasn't a lot of Internet at that point in time to you know, track the stuff that you owned. So that's how I got into the industry was I started to give it a little bit of financial Wall Street voice to Main Street Radio. And I'm pretty proud of that. So where do we go from here? 800-516-1220 if you ever have questions. Uh, don't be shy. One of the things that I'll try to do on this show is, on Stock Talk in particular, that was the national radio show that I did, that was really geared towards tech stocks. I'm going to try to do that again. And, uh, you know, there'll be two different podcasts. You'll be able to differentiate them going into the future years. Um, one thing I do is All Things Financial, which is a little bit more of a broad-based show based on the economy, based on the stock market, based on, based on headline news. Stock talk will be based on investing. Now, one of the areas that I want to like debunk a little bit is some of the hype. I don't like hype. When it comes to investing, you want a calm, clear, cool head. You want a shopping list. You want to love that shopping list. You don't want to have favorites on that shopping list. So one of the areas that I'm hearing just a lot of noise that you know comes in and like starts messing with your head is the hype cycle. 
So and there's a company that does a lot of research called Gartner. And Gartner's a research firm that I've been following for 20 years, and I can tell you that some of the research reports that they've come out with are fascinating and fun and sexy. Robots are going to take our jobs. Things along those lines. And you're like, what am I going to do if I don't have a job? Or what are my children going to do? And it starts to panic you. You know, cars one day will fly. And are those called airplanes? Yes. But Gartner does a really good job of kind of like, kind of like building hope and promise and expectations. And as an investor, you almost have to stop and go, Jerry, Jerry, show me the money. And look for what's working now. Look for who's dominating. Thank you. Show me the money. Show me the money! Never gets old. Um, So you look at what's working now. You look at the company that makes billions and billions. Uh, Back in the day, we used to say millions and millions. One day, will we say trillions and trillions? Probably not in my lifetime, but I'm okay with that. So there's a Gartner hype cycle, and it's patterned based on, you know, uh, things that we see out there and mathematics that's devoted to it. And if you give time and research to anything, you can get kind of crazy about it. For instance, uh, robots taking our jobs. That's, I think, one of the top three areas that are overhyped at this point in time. Is it fun to look at? Yes. Is it stepping into reality on a, a serious level? Not quite yet. Are supercomputers going to go to medical school? school? Will robots take doctor jobs? Should you be a nurse? Because there will always be someone who has to put the blood pressure cuff on. You know, right now, there is still a lot of human behavior in our life that we feel more comfortable with. The notion that automation reduces employment is nothing new. So we go back to robots with Luddite movement in the 19th century. And, you know, technology inducing unemployment is a constant fear. The Luddites were a group of English textile workers and weavers. And ultimately, in the 19th century, they destroyed the weaving machinery as a form of protest. Now, I know you're saying, I thought a Luddite was what my husband was on the weekend, you big old Luddite. No, the Luddites were protesting the use of machinery in a fraudulent and deceitful manner to get around standard labor practices. Luddites feared that the time spent learning the skills of their craft would go to waste as machines would replace their role in industry. So we know that. We know that there's a history of this. It's a misconception that Luddites protested against the machinery itself in an attempt to stop and halt technology. If you break all computers, computers can't take your jobs. What they were doing by breaking the uh, textile weavers, uh, they were basically saying, you know, we oppose industrialization. We oppose automation. We oppose computerization. We oppose new technologies in general. So... Remember, have you ever heard of someone saying they're a tech Luddite? Now it makes sense, right? I know you're saying, man, you are like a good NBC after school special. Now I know. Thank you. Thank you very much. And to think the press Democrat once said I should stay in radio because my TV isn't made for, or my face isn't made for TV. That Luddite has been out of a job for quite a while. Anyway, the workforce has doubled since 1970, and yet we keep talking about this Luddite movement of robots taking our jobs. Labor participation rates have risen by more than 10% during that period of time. So 
they're not taking our jobs. Our jobs are maybe becoming a little more demeaning, a little bit more beneath us. Some jobs are being replaced on that level. So, you know, when you have McDonald's fry cook, what's the difference? Not what's the difference, but if you're a franchisee owner, and you have a robot that can drop a basket of fries into a jacuzzi of grease and lift them up if after 90 seconds, what's the difference between a human doing that? And for the record, I've never dropped a basket of fries, and so if it's 90 seconds or five minutes, I don't know. So another big rumor out there myth is the platform economy. So and there's obsession that focuses on platforms. Firms like Uber and Airbnb have built billion-dollar valuations in just a very few short about years. Uh, business gurus swoon at how this new model dominates traditional pipeline businesses that are encumbered by old-fashioned physical assets. And you can see that you know Uber is blown through billions and billions of dollars, and they still so, show no signs of profitability anytime soon. Airbnb represents less than 1% of the global hospitality industry, and yet we talk about how they're disruptors, and they are. But how much of that disruption is actually killing and hurting the other 99%? You know, there's far more money made in that 99% of the hotel area because, for instance, hotel occupancy rates have recently hit record highs. And although room rate growth has slowed a bit, um, you know, sometimes it's tied towards overbuilding. Amazon is somewhat of a cautionary tale. It's well-run company, great company. Um, the question is, they're a well-run company that does with a lot of deals with a lot of subpar margins. So its profit pictures brightened considerably, mostly due to cloud computing and other areas other than that delivery of books. So, and finally, the area that's getting a lot of mythology created and myth and rumor, false and, and unprecedented, is the retail apocalypse. You know, Toys R Us recently filed for bankruptcy, and we know major chains are closing, and that it's becoming clear that storied brands, some of them are going to survive. And when you take a look at it, you know whether it's Bonobos or Warby Parker moving into real spaces, you know the problem isn't with retail itself. Its problem is with the old firms trying to adopt new models and bringing reasons to get us relationships and to service us and to upsell us. Um, it's not the disruptors, it's not the Warby Parkers and the Amazons out there. It's that retail is still stuck in the 19th century, not the 21st century. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial and stock talk. Making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock talk with Rob Black. So I grew up. In a world of Jason Voorhees. No, 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 no. Kill, 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 kill. I grew up with a little Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees. Who are these people? Come on, you know. Little Mike Myers. I was pre-torture movies. I was pre-Saw films. They never appealed to me. And when I got into Wall Street... And Friday the 13th met Wall Street, it was truly scary. 
30 years ago today. Children still talk about it. It was October 19, 1987. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 25% of its value in one day. Children, tell your children about Black Monday. It was a day where traders and investors lost one quarter their worth in a day. No one in living memory has seen anything like it. Never, ever. And it's only told about and talked about in whispers now. The postmortems conducted, trying to understand how the Dow managed to drop 508 points in one day. They couldn't figure it out. The so-called portfolio insurance, a quantitative tool which was designed to use futures to protect against market losses. Instead, it created a poisonous feedback loop. We had the solution to fix evil, and that solution was evil itself. We basically figured out a way to stop a market crash that created a market crash. Now the proliferation of computer-driven investing has created an illusion, as Doug Henning would say. It's an illusion. It's created a ton of risk that can be measured and managed. And shifting into real voice, there's, you know, it was 30 years ago that we had Black Monday. And you look at the calendar this year and you see October. And October's got Black Monday in it. It was the third Monday of the month. It was kind of the dawn of... <clears throat> I, I'll say it right now, CNBC. It was kind of the dawn of it opened door for people like me. Where we started talking financial news is news because up until then it was pretty boring and it, it took, you know, 67 years, well, 55 years roughly, to kind of get us back into that mode set that Wall Street had really dark times and people would jump out windows. So, as a financial person, working on the first floor always has advantages. There's never a day that kind of bad. So, we've since heard of not just Black Monday, where we lost 25%. So, imagine your portfolio is worth $1 million, and suddenly at the end of the day, it's worth 750000 That's a lot of money for people that they panicked. We've had something called the flash crash back in 2007-2008, where the market dropped 7% in the middle of the afternoon. We had Flash Crash 2 back in 2015, and that lasted for a couple days. Overnight, kind of, it kind of went around the globe, and we saw you know, huge chasms of what we thought could happen versus what did happen between stocks and ETFs and the ETFs that owned them. Um, Brazil once was battered. They weren't fried, but they were battered. The Brazil index once crashed 19% in a single day. Can you imagine a whole market down 19 freaking freaking percent in one day? Um, I can't give you a, a comparative. It would be like your house going down 19% in a day, right? Back in 2014, we had the Treasury tantrum. And I love people who are prone to tantrums because they are damn entertaining to watch, especially if they do it in public. So treasury tantrums are kind of important where the 10-year treasury went from basically 2.15% or 
all the way down to 1.85% in a day. And you're like, whoa. And that was real. So there's an increasing amount of money in the stock markets worldwide and not just domestically. And it's all devoted to rules-based investing. Quantitative strategies now account for about $933 billion, which are just making decisions on mathematics. It's not on earnings. It's not on interest rates. It's just on mathematics. Now, in 2007, that number was about $499 billion. So more and more is going into calculator-driven decisions that don't really take into account anything other than short-term profits and short-term risk management. And that tends to snowball itself. And if you go way back in the 1980s, if you wanted to place a trade, you know, you picked up a phone and you called your broker. And your broker would put you on hold. And then he'd ring up, he'd go, you'd call him up and you'd say, hey, Joe, um, I heard a hot tip to buy shares of this company called Digital Computer. And Joe's like, well, as a stockbroker, I should be hearing the hot tips, not my customers. But let me call my specialist. I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. So he'd call a specialist. And a specialist are these people who are, you know, uh, basically make, creating bids and asks and uh, trying to figure out what a stock should be priced at. They're trying to match buyers and sellers. And that person in charge of basically running trade in any given stock, sometimes they'd manage up to seven, eight, nine stocks. And that trade would be executed. The process was slow, was cumbersome, it was inefficient. So to get that kind of panic, it took a lot of phone calls. Computer technology wasn't advanced then, but it did advance. The machines grew to rise, as Sarah Connor once predicted. Machines gradually took most of these steps out of the hands of humans, and we did it gleefully. Today, nearly every trade is handled by an algorithm of some sort. It's placed by a computer. It's executed by computers interacting with each other. So Black Monday can and will happen again. We will have a bad day. I always think of robots as blenders. I don't know why. Robot uh, but parade. parade. Robot, robot parade. parade. That's, they might be giants. So mistakes happen with the way humans interact with algorithms. For instance, in 1998, there was a group of quants at long-term capital management. They were led by a Nobel Prize winner, Robert Merton and Myron Scholes. Anyone named Myron, I never trust. And they caused a massive market sell-off when the hedge fund's highly leveraged trades based on quantitative models started to lose and, and basically meet unexpected market behavior. And they lost a ton of money in Russia because Russia defaulted on their debt. And that started just this massive snowballing because of leverage. Leverage is a bad thing on the way down. Leverage when you own a home and you take money out of a home to buy another home and you take money out of a, it's great on the way up. But when it goes down, you go bankrupt. So welcome to the 30th anniversary of Black, Black, Black Monday. It's not that scary, is it? It's all computer driven. Until you actually go through one, that's when you start staining some underwear. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested in more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Your comments and questions are always welcome. 
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. What is this? Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. Black talking money, investing, and more. Talk a little stock talk. It's pretty crazy what we're looking at with California wildfires and 2017 being a year of, again, disaster after disaster. And sadly, I think we as a nation tend to have a very short-term memory on some of our gun violence that is just random and mass shootings to some of our disasters, whether they be hurricanes or floods or tornadoes. Uh, whether they be terrorism and or wildfires, uh, we tend to be very short-sighted and, and never prepared or ill-prepared, to say the least. Sometimes we don't feel the ramifications that are going to play out. Uh, the best thing you do is try to learn from scenarios as they're presented to you. Um, I've learned more on a regular basis on stocks from listening to you and watching you make mistakes and asking questions that you ask, uh, trying to see like what where your pulse is. Um, I think it's it's pretty good to echo back to 1987 and think about a funny thing happened 30 years ago. And I just talked a lot about the horror that was Black Monday and what a lot of people you know, forget, it was kind of a disaster. People died. And, you know, the venerable Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 22.6% in one day, and that wasn't supposed to happen. We've now got a system that puts brakes on scenarios like that. And after 9-11, I remember a lot of people panicked and they wanted to sell because they thought it was the beginning of the end of the retail consumer and I'll never be able to go to a mall again. So... Crashes are scary things, and whether they be car crashes or stock market crashes, um, it doesn't take a lot to go back and remember, you know, what people were feeling. You know, behind the scenes, banks were nervous. They were pulling lines of credit from people in the market on a pretty regular basis. Uh, the Federal Reserve on Tuesday, the day after Black Money, encouraged banks to reopen their lines of credit because... They saw it not bad behavior, but they saw you're going to make things worse. Um, do you make credit more available when things are crashing? Do you make credit less available? To make it less available and call on credit basically snowballs the effect, even though you're thinking you're protecting. What you're doing is making the problem worse. Stocks eventually you know, will get into plus territory in a worst-case scenario. And, you know, again, some of the people that you can go Google, uh, Abby Joseph Cohen, Mark Faber, um, Art Cash, and these are all people over 65 years old who lived through a crash and, you know, steered their ships well through it. And I remember Black Monday, I was way too young to actually be working in Wall Street at this point in time, but I remember seeing the headlines. And again, it's a lot like 9-11 or, you know, my parents were eating hot dogs when Kennedy was assassinated and they never ate hot dogs again. Um, just going to show you how sometimes you do remember things. Abby Joseph Cohen remembers having not eaten dinner that day on Black Monday and working till midnight. Um, and, then, you know, working in New York City, you walk by newsstands all the time. And when you walk by a newsstand to get, you know, a bite to eat or get a newspaper, 
all the candy bars, all the chips, everything was sold out, she said. So people who were working on Wall Street walked out the building, grabbed a bite, walked back into the building to work because that ability to be ready served as a source of liquidity. It served as support for the economic and financial system. So there are you know, things that are a lot more sanguine now that we look back on and, and we forget, like, whoa, there were days when people actually, you know, uh, stayed at work, kind of locked themselves in to help, you know, fix the problems and help people get through it because people were calling their bro- stockbrokers, you know, late at night. Um, so there was a lot of crying. Uh, there's a lot of triage. There's a lot of chaos. Um, you know, the yelling gives away pretty fast when you're a professional. The triage and the crying, you know, crying goes away and you start fixing things. So I know a lot of people, and I hear it here on a regular basis, and whether it be on radio or TV, I'll hear commercials that, like, you know, the stock market's scary. And anyone who runs a commercial that says the stock market's scary, I'll put my wealth up against your wealth. I'll put my career up against yours. I'll put my Social Security statement up against yours. And I'll, I'll put how much money was made inside the market versus how much money you took from people in commissions and fear-based decisions. Anyone who wants to challenge me on that one, I'll throw down $10,000. I'll throw down $100,000. I'll throw down a million dollars for charity. Whatever the game is you want to play, there's people out there who will like go back to Black Monday and go, uh, look, a crash is coming. It's right around the corner. Dun, dun, dun. That's why you should buy the five levels of real estate investing with me on on how you could cash flow and how you can save and, and make millions. Anyone who runs a commercial based on fear, I'll put my money up against yours. Anyone. Because uh, A, that's the kind of guy I am, and B, I know they're, they're not going to hold up to any sort of test of, of discipline. Just worthy of note, in my opinion. Just worthy of note. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Don't be fearful. Yes, there's going to be bad days out there. Yes, there's going to be bad years. It's pretty normal and pretty healthy. So if you have a good time frame, I think you'll be a-okay. Hot stocks are a lot like hot pants, where they come and go in style pretty quickly. Then there's, like, the idea of, like, consumer staple stocks that are going to be around for years and years and years. And you can say, well, there's going to be companies like, or there's going to be countries like India as they create more of a middle class, or China creates more of a middle class. They're very likely to drink Coca-Cola as a, a refreshing break. So there's going to be stories and, and, and ways to invest a lot like that, where, well, we're creating more jobs and as people have paychecks, they like to go on vacation. Or, you know, I think that the the easy thing is that they like to eat cheese as they make money. They like to brush their teeth. They like to use deodorant. They like to drink Coca-Cola. Um, they like to have a cigarette break. So you can, they like a glass of wine when they get home. Uh, a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So it's Coca-Cola or Colgate or Mondelez or Danone or Philip Morris or Diageo or Unilever. There's ways to, you know, say, okay, I don't need the hot stock. I need the hot trend over time. So the hot trend over time is maybe a demographic story that you're buying into. Um, Or you could say, you know, hey, biotech, 
back in 2016 when everyone was running for president, I remember these guys got schwacked. Schwacked is a term that you basically pull a golf club out of your golf bag and you hit something with it. You schwack it. I like the way you say that. It could be Robert De Niro schwacking someone's head with a golf club for disobeying his mafia-driven motifs. Or it could be, you know, the idea of politicians going, I need your vote. Who am I going to throw under the bus today? I'm going to throw biotech stocks under the bus. And that can be opportunity. It does knock. Um, and it came knocking in the 2016, 11, uh, 2016 election cycle. It was Bernie Sanders. It was Hillary Clinton. And it was Donald Trump. And, you know, sometimes you get poster boys of, like, bad doing on biotech or pharmaceuticals that, you know, charge too much. So you need to kind of know the players in biotech that you want to own so that when opportunity knocks and these guys get hit due to political motives of trying to get votes, uh, you're ready for a Regeneron or a Gilead. You're ready for a bioveratif. And the funniest thing you could ever do, if you ever want to do this, is challenge me to a game of saying biotech names or drug pharmaceutical products. Um, I am so bad at it. I am so bad at it. But biotech's a great long-term trend because we as a nation want to grow hair on our head. We as a nation want to stop the pain of arthritis and the humility that we don't have, the vanity that we appeal to with aging. So you look at a Gilead and a Biogen, and you start adding names to your portfolio ideas so that when they get hit, you can be opportunistic and get into that sector, Amgen or Alexian. Or maybe you just go, you know what, Rob? I believe in biotech. Um, One of my friends is a biochemist. I've got this out there on a pretty, you know, large-scale thought that the Bay Area is filled with a lot of geniuses, right? And I can't tell the difference between my friend from Norway who's trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Finland trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Argentina trying to figure out cancer. So I should invest in all three of them in my head. And that would be like a a Spider S&P Biotech ETF XBI. And I could take a look at that 10-year history or the 5-year history and go yes or no. And I tend to like sectors when they underperform. I tend to like stocks when they outperform. So digest that for a second. So if I don't like this S&P, the Spider Biotech Index, XBI, maybe I'll take a look at the IBB, which is the iShares NASDAQ Biotech Index. And if I say, you know, I want more risk than that, I could start with those names, those ETFs and indices, and look at their holdings and look for individual stocks. But anyway, opportunity comes knocking. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I'm here.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. The lawyer and the pharmacist when walking through paradise. And all the sick were I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Do a little Stock Talk action right now. I always have seminars coming up. You can find out more about seminars by going to Rob Black Show and look for upcoming events. And when you click on it, you'll see that there's a sign-up and that there's typically a $25 fee. Um, It's really to keep the crazy people out that are looking to become millionaires overnight. That's not what I do. There's other people who will gladly take your foolish money, not me. Um, So when you sign up for seminars, you can use the code RADIO25, RADIO25. I promise you'll learn something valuable that will help you with $100,000, dollars decisions in your life. So you can sign up for events at Rob Black Show. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. You'll hear commercials running. Use code RADIO25 when you do. Over the weekend, I was looking at somebody I, I kind of love to hate, and I've mentioned him on the air before, and he's actually called me personally um, to basically tell me to stop it. And it's Ken Fisher, and he's just some of those, he's someone that I don't really like as I, I love what he's done. I don't like that he's turned into a factory. Um, and I think if he were to look seriously at himself, he would see that that's kind of what it is. His firm has gotten really big, and it was based on some great principles. But as you get bigger, you have to compromise some of those principles. Where you used to be able to oversee everything, you kind of become more big picture as you grow. And he wrote an article talking about cars and, you know, he saw a presentation by Toyota, and you know Toyota was pushing the autonomous driving, and Toyota shaping technology to make it you know your soulmate. They're trying to figure out your emotions while you're driving, and I don't doubt that we'll get there. I I, I don't like that. That's the focus of his article because as an investor, you look to him to say something smart. And when he's starting to talk about basically the PR, the press releases that companies like Toyota put together to go, ooh, and wow you to, like, buy into the brand and to listen to the brand and think about the brand and go, I better buy a Toyota because they're going to, down the road, have the car that makes that understands my emotional comfort levels. And they're going to see what I'm down to make the car more fun. Um, so Fisher's fine. I think he's more of a business. He's more of a factory. I've seen his salespeople. I've seen them do meetings without him. I see what they talk about clients behind his back. I see that his business model incentivizes them. Um, No, he doesn't push annuities, but he's not my cup of tea. And that's fine. We're allowed to disagree. And I think that's totally good. (laughs) To be honest with you, it's pretty darn healthy. Um, So a lot like Jim Cramer, where he gets people excited about investing... He doesn't have a track record of making you money, so don't buy into it. He doesn't have a track record of getting to know you. He's made some of the worst financial decisions in financial media ever. Um, Just go Google John Stewart and Jim Cramer, and you'll see... These nuts! They're nuts! They know nothing! He can be wrong, really, really wrong, as in that case. Um, And what I used to hate about his show, and he's kind of pulled away from it because I think he hurt too many people was that he was definitive. And I I think that's the wrong thing to ever be when it comes to investing. Um, You can have mantras, you can have memes that define you, so to speak, but 
don't go out and like say, I think Google's a great stock. I do think Google's a great stock for me. But is it appropriate for a farmer in Iowa who is in a tractor all day long and can't watch it? Maybe not. So I just throw that out there for you. 800-516-1220 each calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Stocks and the word overpriced or value or growth or hyper, it, it really gets into our head a lot. So celebrating the 30th anniversary of the 1987 stock market crash, it really makes us all start thinking about some of the price-to-earnings ratios that we're comfortable with. We start thinking about, in the Wall Street world, of the 1929 crash. The Great Depression was set in motion from it. People killed themselves. We could take a look at the 2000 area, you know, 98 to 2000, where we got the dot-com bust. We can always look back at history and go, okay, what was the price-to-earnings ratio? What was the price-to-sales ratio? What, what can we learn from then that we could use today? Things change is the first thing that we must understand. And there is a renaissance going on of macro investing. Um, 30 years ago seems like yesterday for a lot of people. So people try to probe, you know, what institutional and individual investors, you know, did well and, and badly that day. And we kind of boil it down to a lot of buy what you're comfortable with within P.E. ratios. Don't overextend yourself. Don't assume that a company is going to. Um, hit home runs if they've always hit home runs. Uh, you have to build in best case, worst case, and then maybe you get somewhere in between. Um, the Federal Reserve issued a carefully worded statement that said margin was extensive and in 1929. There was a fear that a correction was coming. They knew it was coming. A year before the market boomed in 1929, a guy named Clarence Barron, he believed the experience of World War I, World War I strengthened people psychologically. He basically said every war stimulates the energies of the people, increases their daring, their spirit of adventure, and takes away the fear of borrowing. The result is that business conservatism is thrown to the winds, and borrowing and construction continue on the basis of hope. Wow. He basically said wars make us want to die or take chances where we could die, where we're not afraid to die. And he basically called investing a casino. Uh, because we come out of World War One and we we needed that high. Don't get inv- don't get don't do investing to get high. Day's lesson, you know. There's a bear market for sure coming. There's a housing market problem coming. Uh, where is the economy going to go? Will robots take our jobs? Build a good good portfolio that's diverse and uh, do a lot of homework on it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. This is Rob Black from Rob Black and Your Money. Retirement planning is more complicated than ever, and it can be hard to even know where to begin. But focusing on a few essential issues can help increase your income in retirement and your chances of enjoying a secure future. Join us for Retirement Income Strategies and Estate Planning Seminar Thursday evening, November 16th from 630 to 830 at the Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos. Registration is $25. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Sign up at robblackshow.com. CFP Chad Burton is going to discuss transitioning your portfolio from accumulation phase to the income phase, passive versus active portfolio management, choosing the right accounts to draw from first, minimizing your retirement income taxes, social security strategies, good and bad retirement products, and much, much more. In addition, I will discuss the market outlook, and attorney Michelle Lerman will explain how to update your estate plan to reflect the latest laws. 
That's Thursday, November 16th, 630 to 830 at the Toll House Hotel in Los Gatos. Registration is $25. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Sign up at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. And use the code RADIO25 to get in free. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 